How's everyone else today? It's the same. Well, there we go. The three of you are doing good. Let's work on the rest of you then. All right. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to the book of Daniel once again. Daniel, today we'll be working in uh, chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Notes left over from uh, our true seekers. Seemed a little odd to probably some of you, but we, we worked through it. Daniel chapter 4, we begin reading at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the inter- in, I'm sorry, interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into heaven, and the slight thereof to the end of all the earth. I'm sorry, the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Thus, hew down the tree, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the ground, in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed for man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. Forasmuch as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour. His thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. 
The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. They shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All of this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, and the king spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men. Thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth. And his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. And may God add a blessing to the reading of his precious and holy word, and let us pause for prayer before our study. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and to surround ourselves around the word. We do praise and extol 
and lift you up, Father. Glorify your name, for you alone are worthy of that. You are sovereign. As Nebuchadnezzar said, even in the first person, you are the holy God. You are the righteous, omnipotent, omniscient, ruler of all, of heaven and of earth. As you gave kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar, you also took it away. Your sense of long-suffering and grace that was unfolded and unveiled for a man that was caught up in pride to an ultimate level is nothing short of a miracle. But Father, thank you that this truth has been kept for all of these years. And all of history is your story unveiled for us as a responsibility for truth that is unfolded. Father, we'll ask that today would be an opportunity for us to get closer to you as we understand you more fully through the truth of the word. And Father, we would ask that for these moments before us now that you would be glorified and that the Holy Spirit would completely be our teacher and we would be receptive our hearts open to receive the knowledge that you have for us. We thank you for what you'll accomplish in advance, praising and lifting your name up on high. And these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Daniel chapter 4 is uh, without question a truly amazing chapter. Uh, what makes it even more particularly maybe earth-shattering, shall we say, is it's written by probably the greatest king of all time. No, let me take that away. Let me take that back. He was the greatest king of all time. And if you remember back in chapter 2, I think we broke that one into a couple of weeks, as this same king, Nebuchadnezzar, there was a vision, a dream given to him about the times of the Gentiles of which we're still currently involved in. I mean, imagine that, a dream that's lasted for 2,600 years and it's still going on. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's really the whole sense of prophecy unfolding on the wings of Daniel's vision that he gave. He, first of all, that's an amazing thing in itself. I, I would, if I've got someone that can tell me my dream, and then I'm really much more open to having him interpret what the dream meant. And Daniel did that as he unfolded all of that. But this beginning king of the times of the Gentiles, this Nebuchadnezzar, what a perfect example for him to become what was known from the human side of the greatest, the most magnanimous, the most magnificent single person in owning the world, that he would come to this realization. He was nothing before God. Pride today, I would have to say, not just because uh, uh, I'm saying it, it's because the Bible says it. We'll be looking at some examples of that in Proverbs. Uh, Solomon and the proverb writers had a lot to say about pride. They were against it. They were against it because God's against it. God hates it. It's probably the thing without question that destroys relationships between us and God like no other. He takes a strong stance. In fact, his most beautiful and prized creation, Lucifer, that was his downfall. And when you are in a state of pride, you will be deceived more, honest, more often than not by yourself. Because you believe things that aren't true. 
You believe things about yourself that are not true. Nebuchadnezzar believed things about himself that were not true because he felt he was invincible, because he was Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) How often do we get in trouble when we think ourselves to be much more than we are? He is going to learn about humility. I'd like to go to... um, We'll probably continue to do this uh, as it fits together because our world is probably, particularly the United States, really seems to be trapped within a definition of what Romans chapter 1 tells us. Uh, Again, this probably, again, lays out very clearly for us of where we are as a nation. Uh, We are very prideful. We are, aren't we? I mean, you'd have to be silly to not say so. What we've been gifted with and the opportunities we've been given in this country are magnanimous. I mean, it's amazing for us to have survived for 200 years by itself, let alone to be literally the envy of the world as a nation. That doesn't make us perfect, obviously. But what's happened to us is more insidious than that, is now we believe we're really something. And God has a lot to say about that, just like is in Nebuchadnezzar. Let's, uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. And again, I'd like to, we've done this several weeks ago, but let's look again. There's things that have taken place because we resisted truth and failed to acknowledge God. Let's just start in verse 24, and we'll make some reference as we go. Verse, uh, chapter 1 of Romans in verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, taking a breath, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, watch this, but have pleasure in them that do them. Ouch. (laughs) I find our nation embroiled in all of that. And why? Because we have not seen fit to acknowledge God. We have not seen fit to acknowledge God. And when we're in that condition, God will step in. He's not going to apologize. He's going to step in. Just as he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Let's take a look at pride in the essence of the Proverbs for a moment. We'll go rather quickly, but let's go to Proverbs. We'll kind of go try to go through systematic. Let's start in chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. And you might want to just jot these down. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, 
pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. It's pretty clear. Mentions it in several different ways. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. I can't imagine, I have to break away because it just speaks loudly of Nebuchadnezzar, the mighty, majestic one. Just to give you an idea, as he was at the latter part of that, when this came upon him, he was standing at a level overlooking Babylon, this great city that he declared he'd made for his purposes and his majesty. He had a great position to be able to do that. That city, uh, just for your information, it was 15 miles square. So it was 15 miles in every direction. The Euphrates River ran through the middle of it. There was literally, as he would have been on top of the wall, and you say, what wall? Well, the wall was, are you ready? 350 feet high. It was 87 feet wide. They could run four chariots abreast on the wall that was 300. Now, I'm not sure who would be stupid enough to take that chance to be the outside chariot on an 87-foot wide wall that's 350 feet in the air. It was the first air-conditioned city, actually. He had, at that high level, he even had water going up and having these hanging I would, I would have to call, I don't know what you would call it, hanging gardens is what was name given to it. And as the water would drip through, it would actually cool the entire region. There was farmlands that dotted the landscape within the city. It was a sight to behold. But again, it wasn't because of him. It was because of God. And to think that man that was standing in that place saying those things... Literally, in a split second, became a cow. (laughs) What did it say again in chapter 11, verse 2? When pride cometh, then cometh shame. I think that's moving from that to a cow. Where's grandpa? Uh, He's in the yard. (laughs) Let's keep going. Chapter 16, verse 5. Chapter 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Wow. Uh, Verse 18, same chapter. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. Sounds exactly a description of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 21 and verse 4. A high look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Chapter 29 and verse 23, our last one we'll look at in Proverbs. Chapter 29 and verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. But probably the verse that would be a classic example, let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 6. I would have to say that Daniel chapter 4 is a perfect stopping place for an illustration for us for James chapter 4 and verse 6. I'll get there eventually. My Bible is not cooperating. Chapter 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, watch carefully, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I think Daniel chapter 4 is the perfect stop-off to see God unveiling and unfolding that. I think of uh, those of you from thinking of history of Napoleon. 
On the morning of the Battle of Waterloo, he spoke to his commander, commanding officer there, and he described to him what he was going to do for the day. He was going to have those over there and artillery there, and he was going to have there, and he said, by the end of this day, England will be ours, and they will be at the feet of the French. And his commanding officer said this. He said, sir, man proposes, but God disposes. And then after hearing that, Napoleon, who was not necessarily the tallest guy in the room, raises himself to the highest level and said, Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. And literally from that moment forward, everything fell apart, just as the Bible declares it to be. This isn't a shock. Show me someone that is arrogant and proud, and I will show you there's a fall coming. Not because I said it, but before, because the scriptures had said it. Let's go back now to Daniel. Let's start unpacking this. Daniel chapter 4. Um, one of the things that may, you may be thinking about, what's the time frame? What's going on here? This is actually, uh, those of you that are familiar with Daniel, Daniel chapter 4 at the end of it is the last we'll hear of Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't show up on the scene anymore. This is the end of his, of his part of Daniel. Uh, again, it's interesting that he writes this. Uh, I want to be careful I say it. He's narrating it in first person. Daniel has written it, but he's getting a clear description or testimony of who Nebuchadnezzar is. I think it even makes it stronger, doesn't it? For someone to do a biographical study upon Nebuchadnezzar, declaring that he found God, oh, it's much stronger when it's autobiography saying, I, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings. And the last verse is, God is able to resist the proud. The proud. But how many years took place? Because there's something that was alarming to me. If you remember back in chapter uh, 2, as that vision was unfolded, early on in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and he couldn't even remember the dream, and he sent for his wise guys. Remember those guys? They were the smarties, right? And Daniel really just got out of college. He wasn't even invited. And we'd have to, as a result of that, you'd have to say, what? Those guys didn't get it right. They didn't get any right. They were sort of losers. And, and, you, and you step in here and you see, he calls for them again. Why would you do that? <laughs> because it's amazing so often that the world that needs answers goes to the world to get answers. One of the highest levels of futility I can find anywhere in the world today is when the world doesn't have answers, they go into the world to find answers. That's why we're in such a mess today. Now, it's not because of abortion. It's not because of murder. It's not because of politics. It's not, you could list all of the vices, all of the ills in the United States or across the world today. That is not the problem. The problem is, is we fail to acknowledge God as ruler and reigner of heaven and earth. Was that too loud? <laughs> That's the problem. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar got wrong. That's what America's getting wrong. That's what our leaders are getting wrong. That's what causes problems. But when the world goes to the world for answers, they come away with nothing but futility. But in all honesty, answering to that question, he had probably been king of Babylon for between 30 and 35 years. Things had went very well. In fact, he, no doubt, the last image in his mind prior to this dream was he being the head of gold of the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. He would have been having a pretty high and mighty time. 
things were going his way. In fact, look at uh, verse 4 in Daniel. I hope you're back there. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. Now, that's not meaning that he's taking a nap and he's enjoying watching whatever he's watching. No, no, this is a time that there would be very, there would be no aggression. There'd be nothing outside of uh, appreh- no apprehension. Things were going very, very well. Things were unfolding to make it look as such this would go on forever. That's where Nebuchadnezzar is at, and he's been doing it for a fairly long time. But then things change. Verse 5. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. And therefore made I a decree to bring in all of the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. And then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, all those guys we saw in chapter 2. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. Now, now think of this. This is even worse than it was in chapter 2. I mean, he told them the dream. Go ahead and give me an interpretation. They couldn't even do that. Now, one of the things that they probably learned was, is Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't trust them very well. So if it wasn't a really clear thing. And by the way, you know, you wouldn't, if, you, if this dream is unfolded for you, would seem pretty obvious that Nebuchadnezzar would have been the tree. Because look at this. We'll, we'll jump ahead for a moment. Let's just turn over. I'm turning a page to Daniel chapter 4. But let's watch this for a moment. Verse 11. The tree grew. The tree grew. One more time. The tree grew and was strong. And the height thereof reached unto heaven. And the sight thereof to the end was of all of the earth. This is magnanimous. This is powerful. What's the greatest, the most uh, I guess the most outrageously fantastic tree you've ever seen. Now, has anyone been to the Redwoods in California? Yeah. Those got to be outstanding. Now, I, I don't remember when we were, my family traveled there when I was like six or something. It didn't make quite as much impression to me. But they are grand. They are over the top. Yeah. Spectacular. That's the kind of tree we're talking about here. Okay, let's keep going. Where did I lose you? Where did, I, where did I lose myself? Chapter, verse 11. There we go. Verse 12. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it. The fowls of the air dwelt in the bows thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I mean, think of the sustenance that this single tree was given. It, it, was, a, it was unbelievable, I'm sure, as he saw that. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one. This would be his picture of an angel. That's, this, is what he's, this is from his description came down from heaven. Now, what, what, again, watch what happens now. He cried aloud, that's the angel, and said thus, hew down the tree, and we just saw in verse 11, the tree grew, so it's the same tree, and cut off his branches. Shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Now, all of a sudden, this tree becomes a he seems almost rather obvious that the he is Nebuchadnezzar. But again, back to the, the wise guys, they just said, uh, boy, we, we're out on this one. Uh, you know, so we'll get back to you. Let's go back to verse 8. Verse 8. <laughs> but at the last, Daniel came in. Before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. Again, he's using that word, that term, that name, that he had given to him that would be according to, this, to the name of his God. He, he served, one of the gods that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar would have served was Bel or Baal. And, and, and by the way, I didn't mention this. In the city of, of, of Babylon, there was thought to be at least 50 temples 
to different gods that were worshipped within that city. And that's why last week, remember, we talked about chapter 3, how easy it is if you're already worshipping several gods, what's wrong with having another one? For the Israelites, a huge deal because you have only one. It should be the same for us as Christians. It should be so easy for us to just stay focused on the one and only Jehovah God. It's when we get other ones is then it becomes that polytheistic, that everything's warm and fuzzy and it just takes over. Bel, Belteshazzar. Now watch this. This is interesting. Whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now, nowhere else I've ever seen where you're talking about a, a polytheistic uh, environment where it's described of many gods. They've never, if I've ever seen it, it's described as holy gods. That's interesting. Where would have he gotten that from? Keep asking yourself that question. And before him, I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians. Now, that's scary, isn't it? What is, is, is uh, Daniel a magician? Actually, the word there, the magician, is actually one of scholar. He was the chief of the scholars. He was the one that Nebuchadnezzar would have called for first in the sense of the chief, the captain of the scholars. And then you're saying, well, why did he wait for last? I have a feeling that the wise guys and Daniel didn't spend a lot of time together. Correct? They didn't have a lot in common. They would have studied and worshipped everything other than what Daniel would have worshipped and been part of. Even though he was part of the team, if you will, and I want to be careful I use that word, quotes around it, he would have been the chief scholar. He was in a different company. He more than likely probably stayed by himself because he was very remote in his thinking. That's something for us to imagine as well. We don't necessarily need to be, and especially in our thinking, it's not as much isolated from the world as we are insulated in our thinking, having making sure that our levels of thought processes are very, very insulated from the world because the world has no answers for what's going on. But here he comes. Here comes Daniel. And he's happy to see him. You can just tell. Thus were the visions of my head in my bed. Verse 10, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and the height thereof was great. And we've talked about that. We went all the way down into verse 14 where there's something very, I mean, if you think of the two parts of the, of the vision, the one is the tree and he sees this thing growing up. It's a giant redwood. I, I can't think of, I don't know, what, what's the bigger tree than the redwood? I don't know. I have no idea. So that's why I'm using that. I mean, you know, literally, you know, they, you, could, you could drive through the middle of a, you know, the trunk of a redwood and you, still it's there, right? That's what this tree looked like. And I mean, at this point it was, I mean, I can just see the awe as you're envisioning this in a dream, and all of a sudden, out of the right side of your eye, which I don't know if it's right or left, here comes this angel coming down. And he says with a loud voice, cut the tree down. Why? <laughs> Why? And it's literally just completely, you, you, let's read it again. Just look at the decimation, verse 14. He cried aloud, said, hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. You talk about a landscape change. That's a landscape change. And everything is affected by it. And nevertheless, verse 15, nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass. Now, that's more than likely probably a fence around this stump. 
It's, it's not like you have brass and iron around the stump. It's more or less a fence around it. And that makes sense in a little bit because think of this for a moment. Let's say that King Nebuchadnezzar or in any other kingdom that they were cut down to size and lost their authority. There's usually within minutes someone ready to step in and take over. That was part of this whole thing, though, that for seven years, that seven times is equal to seven years, God held that kingdom at bay from anyone taking it over, which is a miracle in itself. Can you imagine no one wanting to step in, taking over the, ba- the Babylon kingdom? One of those things I think is really spectacular in all of this. I think that man that was responsible that God used and intervened was none other than Daniel. He was serving as prime minister. I think he held it all together. Until he knew the day too, didn't he? I'm sure he knew when finally Nebuchadnezzar would praise, extol the Lord God of heaven as God of all and supreme of all, that then it would be returned to him. But let's keep going. Uh, verse 16. Oh, no, verse 15, I'm sorry. Leave the stump. So can you see this? This is this, I don't know why, but the stump to me, it's about this tall, right? And it's massive. It took one big wicked chainsaw to cut that down. I would even say an angel with an axe would have taken a long time, right? But there it is. They've got a fence around it, but it says something else. In the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion, his portion, be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him. For seven years, this man, Nebuchadnezzar, now I'm, I'm getting, I'm already unfolding for you, interpretation of it, but think of that for a moment, that he's a king on the standing on the wall looking down at this great city, and all of a sudden he's in the backyard eating grass. And you say, that's so weird. Actually, there's a condition today. It's called boanthropy. It literally is someone that is in a mental state that believes they are a bovine. I read with interest in 1946, there was a clinical example of that that a biblical scholar was writing of that actually was able to interview this person. I don't know how they interviewed, but he watched and took notes. And he was in his 20s, and he was in a mental institution. Nothing wrong with him except he just lived outdoors, ate grass, and drank water. Wanted to be a cow. (laughs) It's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? And actually, they said, just as it, just as it said of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, if uh, just left to himself, his fingernails, and it, it would have been very much the same. Now, in this, in, the, in this mental institution, of course, they would have taken more care of him, shall we say, understanding. But the, the condition, look it up, boanthropy. You believe that you are a bovine. But I would have to think that would be challenging for the family. Chapter 5, next week, we'll be looking at Belteshazzar, which was his grandson. And he was ruling and reigning. And he, well, wait a minute. Um, where's Where's Nebuchadnezzar? Where's your Where's your Where's your grandfather? And that's interesting too. For Belteshazzar to see what God did, he missed it all. Isn't that amazing? Well, not really. It's kind of like that in America. Look what God has brought us through. Look at what history has taught us. And now it's like we want to rewrite history so that God's not any part of it. Why is it like that? Because of pride. I'm convinced. We want to make it like we want it. But <clears throat> where's your grandfather? Well, he had a, he had a period, of life, period in his life he was, he was just struggling. He was just struggling with his identity. 
what do you mean? Ah, oh, gosh, is it, is it time for lunch already? <laughs> I mean, how do, you, how, do you open that, how do you open that up? How do you dialogue? Well, in all honesty, we locked him in the backyard, and he ate grass. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, the great one. Ooh, wow. Boy, you are going to have a great opportunity to see God work. <laughs> this is what's really cool about God. Listen, this, you're good. No, you're, we're going we're gonna to really hammer home on this because this is so much fun now. We're going to blow your mind, girl. This is going to be awesome. This is what's so cool about God is he gives the guy that's going to become like a cow or a bull, whatever you want to say, right? It doesn't matter. Bovine. Everyone listens to it that way. He literally gives him a dream, gives Daniel the opportunity to interpret the dream, unfolds it, and the guy sees it clear as can be, but it takes him a full year. God is so long-suffering. I can't imagine how God is going to look in the sense of long-suffering towards the United States of America. Just look at how long he has literally just, just come back to me. Just come back to me. Just look at Nineveh. I'll get back to you. I'm going to get back to you in just a second, right? This is so much fun. I love to explode <laughs> these kind of things, right? Okay, so... Think of Nineveh for a moment. Here's Jonah. He's given a great task. Jonah is a fantastic book, right? Here's this, here's this prophet of God. I'm putting quotes around prophet because, boy, he was kind of immature as well. You know how much compassion he had for the Ninevites? Zero. Look at Daniel for a moment. Remember? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm expecting you to go back. We read it through one time. He gets done with the dream, and then he, then he asked Daniel to interpret it, and Daniel was astonished. And he was taken back, it says, for about an hour. I don't think it's an hour as much as it was. The whole thing just totally threw him off. And you know what it was? Not that he didn't understand the dream. Oh, no, he understood the dream, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he, was, he didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar that it was him that was going to turn into a bovine. Now, that's compassion. Now, remember, this is the same man, Nebuchadnezzar, that went ahead and took those 75 or so captives, hostages from the royal family in Israel, drugged them 900 miles, forced them into believing what they should believe or tried to, tried to go to on a food regiment. And this man, who has been hostile to the entire world, Daniel has compassion on him. Now, that is Christianity at a level that we need to adhere to. Do you know where Nebuchadnezzar saw the holiness of God? In Daniel. Do you, know where the, do you know where the world needs to see holiness and righteousness today? In Christians. Do you know where you should see compassion? In Christians. Okay, now we're going to get back to it. Okay, here we go. So the dream happens. And he brings in the wise guys. They don't have a clue. Daniel steps in and he says, okay, I get the dream. Oh, I don't like it. It's giving me a headache. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Daniel. Don't just give it to me. Lay it out. And he says, oh, I wish it was for your enemies. Remember him saying that? And then he says, he unfolds and he said, you know what? You're the tree that's growing up mighty. And the angel comes down and says, cut it down. And then you're going to turn into a bovine. And that's the dream. Okay? Now, let's watch. We're gonna, for your advantage, let's just step right in. Take your Bible or your phone. There you go. And let's just stop. I want to I bring this to the end of the dream. Verse 25. 
verse 25, chapter 4. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Do you, do you remember? Just a second now. You're saying, what, what's the dew of heaven thing got to do? Have you ever seen cows? And it's, it's, it's cool, like probably 30s to 40s. And they've been out all night. And they're, well, yes, no, we, don't take ours in, we don't take ours in the house. The, the odd part is, is Nebuchadnezzar should have been in the house. The, the weird part is we don't take our cows in the house. Okay? In Germany, they do that. They have the lower and the cows heat the upstairs. Okay, we're not like that. Okay, but yeah, thank goodness. Exactly. So anyway, so here we go. The cow, and, you, and, the, and, and you'll see actually that dew on the top of their hair coat. They're just sitting there just chewing, chewing their cud, having a great time. And you can see the dew on top. That is exactly what that is. He spent the nights outside because that's where he wanted to be, was with the cows. Now, I'm wondering if they got another couple of cows to go in the yard with them. I don't know. Make him feel comfortable? Let's keep going. I'm sorry. Did you guys even want to even know that? I don't know. That was a no, wasn't it? That was a no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here we go. Oh, verse 25, we're having so much fun. They shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times or seven years shall pass. Seven years. Wow. Here's the key. I've got it underlined in my Bible. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. God is in charge. Now, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Now, watch this. We want to come back to this verse, but listen to it right now. Verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. I want to say this. We'll come back to it again because this, this is a hammer home kind of a theme. When we're exposed to truth, we have a responsibility. Truth comes with a responsibility. That's what's so clear. When we're given the sense of what sin has done to us relationally with God, and when you lay out the solution, the truth that Jesus Christ died for his sins, the responsibility is ours to reach out. Truth always comes with responsibility. Today, Americans are making decisions. And when truth is unfolded, will we resist it, hold it, turn around, try to run away from it, as Romans chapter 1 does? Or will we take responsibility for what the truth requires? This is literally what Daniel, it's his last words to the king. And so far, we're still in the dream. Okay? You okay with us? You're hanging with me now, right? Okay, so Daniel says, I'll tell you what, I just hope and pray, king, because of what we've just said. God has spoken, and he doesn't change his mind. Aren't you glad about that? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, O oh, king, please repent. Please turn away from your sin. And I'm going back to the Ninevites. I kind of stopped that story in mid-stroke, didn't I? Here's Jonah. He was called by God to go to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were enemies of Israel. They really were. They, they were nasty people. But he goes, and he's asked to go to a city. There was probably about 600,000 men, his thoughts. So he, it's probably a million people that lived in. Oh, by the way, Babylon was a million, 200,000 people when, Babylon, when, when Nebuchadnezzar, which is coming right up. You cannot believe how close we're getting to answer, answer your question. And Nineveh was this place that Jonah didn't want. In fact, he wouldn't even do what God said. He said, unless you repent, 
you will be destroyed. That's literally his message. That's really all Jonah had to do. And Jonah said, you got the wrong boy. And not only did he not go, see, there's a part of not going. You kind of like resist. You put yourself in a shell, and you think about maybe having a committee meeting. We could talk to our neighbor. It's kind of like, think, think for a moment if you were uh, Noah, and God says, he says, you know what? I'm going to destroy the earth and everybody in it. I want you to make an ark. A what? There hadn't been a lot of arcs. You couldn't go down to the local ark shop and take a look at one. Hadn't been one. But he said, I'll show you how to build it. Noah's like, boy, thinking there's some other guys that are more qualified that could do a better job. They're more better at carpentry. Isn't that sometimes how we are as Christians? Thinking somebody else could do it better than we? Oh, no. If God calls you to do it, he'll give you everything you need to be the best at it. For 120 years, literally, God, again, I just, this is about long-suffering. For 120 years, Noah was building that ark and reminding people that God was running out of patience. And you know what happened? Virtually nothing in the sense of people. I cannot begin to tell us to the life to the, going down through history. Usually when humans are given the opportunity for more time, we waste it or actually get worse. Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. Look at us in, in America since again, I, I don't know, to me was a huge change in the 1950s. Something happened there that things just switch. We had the sexual revolution in the 60s, and we have been downhill, falling off a cliff ever since. More time for us has literally destroyed us at a faster level. Is it not true? 120 years in Noah, literally. How many left? How many got on that ship? I'm, I'm sorry, that ark. Eight. Eight. Eight out of the whole world, and this baby was populated. 120 years, God said, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give you every opportunity. Do you know what he's doing right now? He's waiting. It's long-suffering, and it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, to him a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. God's outside of time. Aren't you glad? I'm glad he's really, but I don't know when that's cut off. I don't know. Pharaoh, think of Pharaoh of Egypt. He hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, and then all of a sudden God hardened his heart. Well, I don't want to know where that level is. Nineveh, we're going to finish Nineveh, I'm going to tell you, we're going to finish. He takes off and goes 900 miles the other way, he goes to Tarshish. That was not the way to get to Nineveh. If you're starting where he was, he went that away, and Nineveh was that away. And you know what, the fish and all of that. And then he finally went in, almost with glee. Took him three days to go through the city. Repent, or you will perish. And they repented. Think, now, just think of this now. Jonah was kicked off because they didn't perish. But think of he had not done what God asked him to do the second time. Look at how many people literally were probably saved eternally because of that message to repent. Isn't that amazing? Now, ultimately, they did. They perished. Nineveh was no more. But do you see how gracious God is? It's all through the scriptures. Okay, now... We're just right on the cusp. Here we go. Again, verse 27, because we forgot where we were at. Wherefore, O king, because let thy counsel be acceptable unto you. Break off thy sins by righteousness. Clean up your act, thine iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor, that it may lengthen your tranquility. Okay, now watch verse 28. Okay, that's the end of the dream, right? Verse 27, no more dream. 
Dream's over. Dream's over. Dream is done. Verse 28. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, don't lose that. A full year went by after the dream for Nebuchadnezzar to get it fixed, to make it right, to clean up his life, to repent before God and get rid of the arrogance. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass. And you know what's happening right now? In reality... The dream is just unfolded at the height of King Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance. And it became real as we're sitting in this room today. And Nebuchadnezzar that very hour started eating grass. Excuse me? God made him go crazy for his pride. That's exactly right. That's exactly what... James chapter 4, verse 6. The illustration is right here in chapter 4 of Daniel. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. If there's anything from us to learn, that is the first and foremost thing to learn. Amazing. Amazing that God would be that patient, that be that long-suffering. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. This is why, if you think about it, that the world can't come up with the right answers. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why the answers today for our world, for our nation, for wherever we're at, it can't be found from the world. You can't, can't get there. can't find it. You can't unfold it. it. It's not there, because it's spiritually indiscernible for someone that is not in Christ. can't be done. It cannot be done. The environment... You know, we, I've, I've told you this before. The, the Gen Zs, those are that are born in 1996 or, or later. It's the latest generation. Let's just think about it that way. Uh, taking a poll, they don't think that you can know truth, number one. So, therefore, my analysis of that is then truth doesn't matter. I mean, if you don't believe you can know it and you're living, you... Now, the weird thing about truth is that truth matches reality. Truth is reality. It fits together. If your truth doesn't match reality, then it's not true. That's what I love about absolute truth. It matches. It just goes right on down through the line. But then the question would be, well, what's really important to them? Do you know what the number one... Somebody's going to answer this because you've heard me say it before. But The number one problem in Gen Zs, this is their newest generation, the youngest generation, the ones that someday you'll pass the torch off to. Number one problem... In the world, and this isn't just the United States being polled, it's across the nation, across the world. 
Number one problem, climate change. It's the number one problem. I'm here to tell you the environment is not our problem. Weather always changes. Always has. Always will. That's the way God made it. Oh, you know, I think I have such strange thoughts coming out just driving down the road. I was thinking of this little bit of snow we had, you know. And why would I think of this other than you just think of the complexity of the, na of the, of the world that God made? I'm thinking now that moisture that we have here in this snow, was it here when Babylon was here? The same? Yeah, it was. Because it's a continuum. Think of that for a second. Do you see how everything kind of keeps reverberating, keeps coming back? And for me, the message was this. That same pride that was in Nebuchadnezzar's life is still here today. Just going in circles. That's exactly right. And the ones that get it right are able to be humble before a God. That's where grace comes. And those that remain prideful and arrogant, they've got a fall coming. Isn't it amazing how things just continue to circle and go around and around and around? But our God is faithful. He's there. Let's go to uh, Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. I started verse 6. Oh, I'm in the wrong. Just a second. I was in 53, which is fantastic. It talks about our Messiah. But chapter 55, verse 7. There we go. We'll start in verse 6 there too as well. Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. That is brilliant advice. Brilliant advice. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't let another second go by. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Those two verses is what we need in America today. We should be yelling them from the highest I was going to say walls. We don't have a lot of walls around here, do we? But if there was a 350-foot wall, I'll tell you, with a megaphone and let it rip. Let's return to God. Let's return to Him. As this reality set in to this Nebuchadnezzar, this man that became, a became like a bovine, let's go in about six years now to the family. Let's check in at the... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's family. What are we going to do with him? I mean, he's not getting any better. Look at him. Right? What should we do? How much do you think at year six, if you were going to do a poll amongst the family, or even the Babylonians that knew the inside story here now? I'm sure they didn't put that in the Babylonian times. King Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind and turns into a beast. I doubt if that was somehow they tried to hide it. But at some point, you have to say, we got to do something here. And I still say, I'm convinced. It doesn't say it, but I'm convinced because who was the prime minister? Daniel. Daniel. I'm convinced he knew the dream. He knew the fulfilling. He knew the interpretation. He knew that for seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar would lose his mind. And he was holding it all together. But just think of the tension within that family. I can't, I, couldn't, I can't even imagine it. This is the guy that built it all. And now he's crazy. And I don't think, I don't 
doesn't sound like something Daniel would be publishing. No. Or the king would be publishing. That's correct. So and it would, Daniel and, and the king. And it's interesting. Now, the other part that I think is really interesting, is let, let, let's, let's, let's take another step back from that. The dream, remember the dream that you thought was just a dream? That's reality, right? But the 12 months in between there where Nebuchadnezzar had all of this time to contemplate and to think what Daniel had said. And Daniel said, oh, king, would you please repent because your tranquility, your length of peace will go on then. Repent, please do it. For 12 months, obviously Nebuchadnezzar did not do that. I'm sure he didn't tell anyone else either. Now, again, he has a really short memory. He keeps asking the same guys to come in and tell them the, the answers to stuff they don't know, right? So what is he thinking? I mean, he may have been pretty serious. You know, it's kind of like 911. This just popped in my head right now. You remember the first week after 911 at churches? They were full. They were full. Kind of got their attention. Week two, a few less. And you know the story. He just yeah. went away, right? Not a big deal. How about after one month of this dream? What do you think about doesn't seem like too much to me, right? It's amazing how we can go back to our same thought processes if we don't deal responsibly with truth right away. You show, somebody, show me what, that you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sin and you don't deal with it? Oh, that's dangerous. Oh, that's dangerous. Even for us as Christians. Losing a fellowship, you know, that's what Satan loves to do is to divide us, to isolate us, and to just get us away from God as far as we possibly can. And the longer you do that, the harder it is for us. Isn't it? It's absolutely true. And he's there with open arms. Just come back. Just come back. Just come back. And Nebuchadnezzar, 11 months in, ah, yeah, yeah, whatever. But you know what is interesting to me, though, to still say this. Nebuchadnezzar saw God in he knew that Daniel's God was real. And ultimately, that's what happened at the very end. I mean, this is the greatest king of all time, literally, repenting before God. I'm convinced we will see him in heaven. I'm convinced. This, you don't say stuff like that in the first person and don't mean it. And it's, in the, it's inspiring the word of God. What do you think? We got to have we got to have that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar gathering around and saying, "Oh, that was the time, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was the wrong side. I was the wrong side of God at that point. I thought I was it too, but God saved me. See, that's going to be a whole lot of stories in heaven. God reached down and took me out of my sin. Every single one that'll be in heaven, every single one will say the same thing. It's all about God. It's all about Him." And I have no idea what I was talking about right now. What were we talking about? Let's close with four thoughts that I think we actually that was we just we just did the one without even knowing it. What did Nebuchadnezzar know about God? And where did he get it? There's a story told about David Livingstone. Uh, he was serving as a missionary, and there was a man, I can't remember, Stanley. Uh, I wasn't given the last name, but Stanley just kind of joined for a year David Livingstone. Just was part of just being there. And he said, I don't ever remember David witnessing to me. I don't ever remember him preaching to me. I don't even remember him praying that I would get saved. 
But I do remember that David was different. And I do know that he had a relationship that I didn't have with God. And after a year of that, I got saved. That's how we need to be in our nation today. People should be able to see God through us. We should be transparent. Not because we're special. No, 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 no. That's not it. Don't, don't raise yourself up. Just let God be seen through you. And that's what Daniel was. That's what I love about Daniel. Now, we don't have anything said negative about Daniel. I, he was not perfect. But he must have been really cool. I just, at every, wherever, no matter what situation he's in, he takes the high road. I'm, I'm afraid some of us would say, if God would have gifted us with, and that's probably why some of us aren't gifted in many ways, is we're really not giving the full glory to God as we get it. But think for a moment as he would have stepped in front of Nebuchadnezzar and he understood the dream and he said, well, it's about time. You're finally going to get it. Right? And we're laughing because it's, there's a part of us that's kind of like that, isn't it? And yet Daniel, that was the one point in the whole chapter that he was distressed because he saw someone that didn't know God that was going to get punished for it. Compassion was everywhere with Daniel. Remember, remember in chapter 2, that was remarkable to me. Okay, so these guys go in and they're rejected and the king's mad and he's going to cut everybody's head off and here comes the executioner, he knocks on the door of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's house and he says, well, you guys, I see we got an appointment with you at the uh, execution shack in about uh, 20 minutes. Be, whoa, 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 what are, we, what are we talking about here? And so he sits down. When's the last time you had an executioner sit down for a chat and tell you what's going on in the politics of Babylon? <laughs> crazy it doesn't happen that way and yet this guy did and he unfolds this then daniel says well let me go get an audience with with the uh, king you know, we'll just need a little more time we get this all handled and then when he got the dream interpretation when they prayed about it the first thing he told arioch was what oh by the way don't kill anybody don't take those guys out that's compassion we as christians have to have compassion because it comes within. And, we under, and when the more that we understand what Christ did for us, the more we have. Excuse me? That is exactly right. In fact, I, I think we need to even go there when we finish today because I think it just fits this perfectly. And Daniel lived that to a level that we probably can't even comprehend because I don't believe he ever saw his family again. He was ripped at 14 years of age. He was ripped out of his homeland, never to return. And he still had compassion for the lost. I think that's magnanimous. And I, for 30 years now, King Nebuchadnezzar is watching this Daniel walk and talk as a prime minister most of that time in his kingdom. And you know what? He was consistent and he knew God through Daniel. That's something we need to know as Christians. We need to act the same as Daniel. Excuse me? Nebuchadnezzar, you mean? Yeah. And, and again, that, that in chapter 2, it says that God gave him the kingdom. It wasn't anything that Nebuchadnezzar did because he was cool and he was smart and all of that stuff. People, every single time. Yeah. Anytime there's self-effort in it, we've lost the whole key, the whole focus of everything. It's all about God. It's all about him. It's all about him. Okay. Then we talked. To, yeah, I just said that one, too. We're having a great time. So shall we just... Uh, now... Did you notice my board got broke? I can't even roll it around. Did you see that? Bomber, right? i got to fix that thing. Okay, so number one, I'm not even going to write it down, but 
Nebuchadnezzar saw God through Daniel. Number two, Daniel had great compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. Number three, we've said this several times, but hopefully this, if this is the end of the whole thing today. Is with the manifestation of truth, there comes personal responsibility. With the manifestation of truth comes personal responsibility. It was up to Nebuchadnezzar. He had been given truth. I mean, that was as clear as it could be, right? Here's a dream. This is what's going to happen to you, bud. This is what's going to happen. I hope you'll repent. A full year goes by, and guess what? Boom! Why? Because he didn't take personal responsibility. And number four, let's go to the last verse in Daniel chapter 4. Let's find Daniel one more time. Oh, you guys are probably already there. I went, I left. Daniel chapter 4. And this is what it comes down to. It's like I said, all of the vices, all of the sins, all of the challenges that we see in our nation, those are not the problem. The problem is, is we fail to acknowledge God as supreme overall. Let's start in uh, let's, verse 34. At the end of the days, at seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. I blessed. Now, did you see the first thing? He lifted his eyes to heaven. My understanding returned. I blessed the Most High. I praised him, if you will. And I, I'm sorry, there, I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? What is he saying? God is sovereign. No questions. No committees necessary. God rules. At that same time, verse 36, my reason returned unto me and for the glory of my kingdom... Mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors, my Lord, sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. I, I, can't, I can't tell you the magnitude of that miracle right there. All of a sudden, here comes this guy. Yes, you were going to say something? Grace. Absolutely. Grace. Grace fully, completely from front to back. And think of this miracle now. As God re- returns this to Nebuchadnezzar, this prideful, arrogant fool that was a cow... For seven years. And then think of this for a second. I've just, we really never finished the discussion with the family. What are we going to do with, what are we going to do with grandpa? What are we going to do with him? He's, what are we going to do? And literally, that fast, he praises and extols God, and he walks out of the pasture, out of the backyard, into the palace, and all of his magistrates, all of his governors, all of his everybody say, There's the guy, and they just surrounded him again. That, my friends, does not happen. That does not happen. And he served the rest of his tenure as the greatest king in the world. But now he knew that God was king, and it changed everything. That's what we need in America. We need every leader at every position, particularly at the national level, to get that. To get that. God's in charge. God has the answers. 
return to him. And he will fully give us the grace we need for all of the questions and all of the answers. And it's amazing to me. Have you noticed the problems just continue to escalate? You just keep rolling? There's a lot of things to cover up. That's absolutely true. And it gets worse and worse and worse. We've got to get back to God, just like Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that must have been a hard decision. Let's close with this, though. I think this is, this is key. Oh, I, I tell you what, I thought of something right now. Let's not ever get too uh, lackadaisical about the responsibility we have for truth to be unfolded. I want to show you an example where it would seem that God was pretty short and didn't have a lot of patience or a lot of long-suffering. There's a man by the name of Herod. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter. Now, again, we don't know everything about him. We don't know how many chances that God had given him. It's not recorded for us. But let's watch, again, God's sovereignty in charge. Verse 20 of Acts chapter 12. Actually, I wonder if we shouldn't go back. Uh, That'll be okay. Verse 20, chapter 12 of Acts. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, And they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. So here we have some disgruntled countrymen, if you will, and they're appearing before Herod, who had jurisdiction over this. And upon a set day, verse 21, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration. What are you thinking? What are you seeing right here? Just a teensy bit of pride, just a teensy weensy amount, right? Now watch. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. That's a good time for if you're, if you're rooted in pride. No, 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 stop, stop. No, God and God alone reserves, is deserving of worship and praise. Uh, but look at verse 23. And they gave him the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God to glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. That seems to be pretty short on long suffering. But we don't know the rest of the story. We know everything about the scriptures. And we're going to go to it. We're, we're going to go to Second Peter chapter 3 now. But I'll say this. There is a point at which God says, that's it. That's it. I don't know where that's at. I just know this. Don't waste another moment. Because it's not worth it. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And I think well, this will be a good place for us to stop today. Actually, I'll be okay. 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll start in verse 8. But beloved, written by the, the this is a, a disciple, Peter, our spur of the moment guy, writes this. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. I want you to be clear on this. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He's outside of time. Time means nothing to God. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Just as, Think of that. Just stop there for a moment. Don't read any further. 
you know what? When that dream came to Nebuchadnezzar, he must have thought that God didn't mean business. <laughs> he didn't know God very well. And God had John write the book of Revelation. The end's coming. There's no question about it. Climate change is going to happen. <laughs> Fully and completely at God's will. That's correct. There will be a burning that is amazing. But it'll be when God says and how God says, and it'll be because God says, not because of anything else. There's the end is coming. That Antichrist will rise out of a revived Roman Empire. And he will have what would be his way for a short period of time. And he also, he and the false prophet become the first two occupants of the everlasting lake of fire, the true hell. The first, they don't, you know, everyone else goes through the great white throne judgment except for three. Satan, he's the third, he's the third partner that gets to go there. After the thousand year reign, the millennial reign, he's released for a short time. This, this blows my mind. This, think, think of this for just a second. When you have a perfect environment, that's the last thing that really God's going to say. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks and everything was wrong. If I'd had different neighbors, if I'd had different people, if I had a different situation, if I'd had money, if I'd had this, if I'd had that, I would have been different. No, no. Let's mark this for a second. We get to the end of the tribulation and it's, it's hell on earth. And God's working with the Jews exclusively at that point. And he wants them, as it says in Zechariah chapter 12, to see him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for who he is. And they will. They will say, he is our Messiah. They'll be weeping. There will be mourning. There will be all of the sorts of things receiving him as their Messiah once and for all. And then the end of the, of the, the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, there are those that will be taken off into judgment. And then there are those that will stay on the earth for the beginning of the millennium. There will be a physical kingdom. And for a thousand years, Jesus Christ rules and reigns in a theocracy. Uh, that's no swamp. That's no bad characters. That's no bad anything. It's perfect as you could make it. Now, again, don't, this is not eternity. This is not heaven eternal. This is a thousand-year reign. And Satan is stuffed in a bottomless pit and locked away. I want to know what that lock looks like, right? But he's no longer here. For a thousand years, Jesus is ruling and reigning. I can't make it much better than that, right? And life goes on. In fact, the wolves are laying down with the lambs. That doesn't happen so much. Think of that. And at the very end of the thousand years, see, there will be people that they haven't in their heart, right? Here comes Satan, opens the gate, poof, and he knows this is it. This is the last go I got. And literally, it says as the sands of the sea, people will follow after him to rebel against God and gather around the great city, the Jerusalem. How can you do that? Because it's a heart condition. It's not an environmental condition. It's not taking anything to do with that. When you fail to acknowledge God, that's the problem. Just as it's in Daniel chapter 4. And then at that point, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then the great white throne judgment takes place. And everyone that did not, that's one place you don't want to be. Do not get an RSVP for the great white throne judgment. <laughs> the only ones that are there are those that did not trust Christ. The book is going to open and it's going to be according to their works. Because if you didn't choose Christ, it's going to have to be, what did you do then? And you'll all, every single one at the great white throne judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. Because they failed to choose Jesus Christ. 
amazing, isn't it? But now this is the good news. There's not one person that God is not willing to wait for, and he knows with his foreknowledge. Verse 9 now, we're still in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's coming, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a God of grace. Mark that. He wants everyone to come to repentance. They won't, but he wants them all to come. That's love on steroids. Isn't that amazing? And that's the same God that we find in Daniel chapter 4. It's the same God that's here, right here today in this room. It's the same God that will, for eternity, we will be serving him. I can't even imagine. We talked a little about eternity. Infinity, that's such a big thing, isn't it? I mean, you can think as far as you can think, and it's not nearly far enough. You haven't even begun. Think of time and the small amount of time that from, from eternity past to eternity future where God created time and where it will ultimately end in turning into an eternal forward. You just think of that. That's a blip. Just a blip. Just, it's not, that's not even good enough for God and where we're going to be. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Let's pray. Father God, how can we be thankful enough for what you've provided Thank you for the picture that we see of your long-suffering, even in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Here's an arrogant, ruthless, unrighteous man that did everything that he wanted, when he wanted. And yet you saw fit, in the height of his arrogance, to cut him down. And for those seven long years, until he looked up into heaven, and he praised your name and extolled you for being the one that is able to resist the proud and establish grace for the humble. Father, I pray for our nation today. We're on the cusp of what would seem a very climactic change. And yet as truth is unfolded, that Jesus Christ came to the earth we even think of that as we commemorate the season. God with us, to have lived a very short life, but with great results, as he died on Calvary's tree to save us from our sins. His blood shed, which was innocent, pure, perfect, holy, so that we may go free when we accept that gift of grace by faith. By faith alone and grace alone, through Christ alone. And Father, to think that you loved us so much that you want all to come to repentance. Jesus Christ died for all. I pray for people in our country today that they would see their need for a Savior, first and foremost. And Father, that our national leaders particularly would repent of their sin, would repent of their evil ways, we repent of the polytheistic gods that we've made from possessions to powers to pleasure to all of these things that have taken us away from truly acknowledging you as our God. God, we know that you will rule and reign. You know, we know from even Daniel chapter 2 that the fifth and final kingdom will be when Jesus Christ rules and reigns not only in the millennium, but forever.
That day is coming, and it would seem it's coming soon. May we act as Daniel, as we are in a foreign land. We are citizens of heaven, but saved by grace. May our fellow citizens, may our fellow people, our fellow mankind, see you through us, just as King Nebuchadnezzar saw a holy, righteous God through Daniel. Father, we lift up your name. We'd ask that this week as we travel, take the steps that you give to us, that the purpose, Father, would us to be continually being more conformed to the image of your Son. And may you take our lives and make, it, make them rich and fruitful and meaning because we are yours. Thank you for each and every one that's here today. We would ask that you bless them and their families. Encourage them, lift them up. Give them all the strength they need as we go about our business for you. In Christ's name, amen.